Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Pep. It is good to see you. It is a delight to be with you today. Right on. Oh, my gosh. It's so good to see your face, and I'm just really pleased to be with you. Yeah. 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 Right back at you. Good day. Good day. Totally. Yeah. Uh, Super. We are discussing confessional communities this season. Uh, this is our seventh season of the Being Known podcast, which every time I say that, I, I just can't believe it. Dude, um, it's, yeah. And we wow. are we are today discussing the idea of getting started in the confessional mm-hmm. community. And I know, Kurt, yeah. you'd like to start with a little bit of a reminder about um, some things. So if you could jump into that, yeah. that would be great. Yeah, just a quick reminder for our listeners that as we walk through these episodes of this season, that it provides some guidelines and some insight, I think, into what we're getting at when we are talking about these confessional communities that uh, continue to generate a, a wide interest uh, from from what you know the feedback that we're getting in a lot of different spaces, whether it's our practice or through the Center for Being Known. When I'm Speaking in places, people are just really interested in in these kinds of things in this in this work, and you know, we're, the the more we do this, the more we discover that the work is transformational. It's important and it's also serious. And I think with that in mind, we want to remind folks that what we're doing here is not a substitute for the kind of training that we provide for people through CBK. Or and even the more intensive training that we provide through our practice. We have different groups that we're coming through for two and a half day intensives there at New Story Behavioral Health here in Northern Virginia. And at the same time that we are wanting to make sure that people know that, we also don't want to scare people off and say, oh, well, because I haven't had formal training or I'm not doing this with a therapist that I can't, that I can't do this. We're, it's why we're doing the podcast. We want people... Right. We want to generate interest. We want people to explore this. We want to be curious about this. And if you want further training that can really help you do this well, those are the other two options that are available for us. So that's the first thing I, I just want yeah, to say. Yeah, and we will we will have uh, those options for you in the show notes so that you can um, find out more information about both of those things. And before I yeah. before we move on, I just want to say that I received an advanced copy of The Deepest Place by Kurt Thompson, MD. (laughs) And I am loving it. I don't know if I'm allowed to show it. Am I allowed to show it? Have you reviewed, you probably, I I don't know. I'm not going to show it. So, but I will say that you folks are in for a major treat with this book. Mm. Um, Mm. I am so excited for Mm. you to Mm. receive this book and read this book. I'm so excited for us to be able to talk about it once it comes out and Mm. all the things, Kurt. So congratulations. Mm. It's beautiful. Thanks. Thank you. The cover's gorgeous. Um, Mm. and I'm really enjoying reading it. I am, I've run out of ink from all of the marking I'm doing (laughs) on it and the annotating and it's really terrific. So congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, that's very kind. Uh, okay, so I, I, I could I, I could just want to, I, I know we don't have time, but I, I want to take time, but I'm not going to take too much time just right. to say, uh, like, your words just mean a ton to me. Mm. Oh. Your words just mean, it, it just mean a lot because, uh, you know, you, you, you write something and you're, and it, it, you're I, always you're wondering, is this going to matter to anybody? 
is this going to be of any yeah. use? And I, and I know that I'm, as a writer, I'm not alone with that. I know, I know any writer I know is wondering whether or not right. that's going to be the case. Right. And I, I hope that it is. And I'm, I'm, so I'm just, your words are, I'm just sitting with those and I'm just taking them in. Really grateful for that. And also recognizing that this, this topic of suffering in the formation of hope that, that the book is about, you know, has as its context, how we, how we wrestle with that question of suffering, the, the context of the confessional community is no small part of how we respond to the question of what do we do? What is it and what do we do in response to suffering? And um, so we're getting started here today with this uh, part of our, with this episode. Yes. Um, and so one of the, one of the first things we would want to talk about as we, as we get started around this question of, of, of confessional communities, what, what are what I call like structural considerations, like who are the people that come to this and how many do you have in a group? And so I just want to say, first of all, that these can be groups that can be made up in any number of different ways. They're just not just one way. It can be all men. It could be all women. It could be of both sexes together in the same group. It can be right, created around a common experience, pastors. I, I, I know there was a, a, a pastor in one of the groups that we ran at uh, our practice, and, and we're in the, we, were in, we were midway through this group. It was an eight-month-long confessional community. We're midway through it, and this guy is already starting his own confessional community with a group of other pastors. That's amazing. And uh, so that's so pastors, stay-at-home moms, faculty at a school. There, there are a range of different ways. There's, there's no limit to how you know who, how we, you know, what are the topics around which we want to form it. The number of participants typically uh, it, it can be as little as three people. You like to have at least three people to have to do this. What we're talking about, right? And you typically don't want to have more than about eight people in the room, just in terms of the dynamics of what take place and. The, the what we would call the emotional payload that each individual and the group as a whole is having to shoulder at any given time. So three to eight participants. The duration, we say that there are two different ways that we talk about these groups operating. One is a time-limited group. In our practice, we run them for about eight months. Then there, and, and so you, you start at a certain date, you meet weekly, and then you end at a certain date. And then there are what we would call ongoing or indefinitely timed groups uh, in our practice. We have groups that have now been meeting between oh, five and about one group of five and a half years has been together. And some people might think, oh my gosh, like what the, the group there? Like who, like why would you, why would you be doing that? For? And the question is understandable. And at the same time, we would say that uh, these are people who are plumbing the depths of their lives together, not just as individuals who are coming collectively to a group, but the, but the group itself is having an impact on each individual and continues to have a deeper and deeper influence the longer that they're part of it. There are pros and cons to both of these uh, options. If you have a time-limited group, you know that like we got to get the job done in eight months. And so there is a sense in which I'm going to be a little more willing to bring everything to the table faster. But it also means I may not get to plumb the depths as deeply as I'd like to because in eight months it's done. We're about, we're right now, we're recording this episode at the beginning of June mm-hmm. of 2023. And we are about to wrap up a group that we've been running for eight months. And I will tell you, dude, like, oh, and, 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 and we'll get to this in the final stage. We have a goodbye liturgy that we, that we have structured for people. And like, dude, the tears are just, like people, they don't want, they, they, they they don't like it. And, and for most of these folks, they're like, okay, I'll come do this thing. I'm not really quite sure what I'm getting into. Right. And now, you know, they, it, 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 they don't want to stop. 
the ongoing groups, you know, one of the challenges of this is because I know that I'm going to, I'll be back here next week and the next week and the next week, I can put off saying things. Yeah. So there are pros and cons to both of these. Uh, we don't need to get into the weeds of that, but to say that either of these options, so you, you could, this is the one advantage for people who want to try this. You could say, look, I want to try this for six months with three other people. And in six months you can say, oh, well, this is helpful. We'll keep doing it. Or like, that was really great. And we're going to stop and so forth. You know, this is not holy writ. This is, it's not, it, it, these are ways for us to be formed that we believe the Holy Spirit is using. The cadence of this, uh, of these groups, uh, we, we do believe that uh, it, they are most effective when you meet weekly, when you give yourselves at least 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that you start and end on time. Um, and you might like, uh, why are you paying as much attention to that? And I would say, well, it's because those two brackets, the starting and ending time, are a way that we non-verbally honor each other's time. And we're saying, you're so important to me that I want to be there. And I will come to believe that I'm so important to you that I want to be there. And that when we're done... We're done. Now, of course, you get to the end of these, the, you know, these 90 minutes and we're in the middle of a conversation that we don't want to stop. And we're like, oh my gosh, I, I, want, I, I, want, I just want to keep talking. And, and part of what we learn is that uh, you know, life is often inconvenient in its timing. And we, 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 we want to have more time. And we say like, yeah, yeah, but you don't, we're going to stop. But I don't want... And it's going to be important for you to learn to regulate that and bring that back next week. Hold it. Think about it. So there's work to be done and that the time brackets actually enable us to do really important work. So starting on time, ending on time. So that's the cadence. Weekly, 90 minutes, starting and ending on time. You know, Kurt, as we look at confessional communities, I want to share with you our Being Known podcast community, something recently brought to my attention. Did you know that the world is facing a devastating global food crisis? Many factors have caused this, including the war in Ukraine, inflation, fertilizer shortages, the effect of COVID-19, and extreme weather, right? These things have all kind of collided to create this global food crisis. And as food prices climb, hunger and malnutrition in vulnerable children intensifies. And so when we learned about this crisis, we thought, what can we do about it? This is why we sought out a partnership with Compassion International. Phyllis and I have supported Compassion International for years, and we know firsthand the amazing work that they do. One of the unique things about Compassion is that they work with local churches located where the need is most urgent. This is church-driven, child-focused, Christ-centered work. And this is where we all come in. Now, here's what we're asking you to do. A one-time donation of $50. You're not going to believe what Compassion International can do with this $50. They feed a family of five for a full month with that $50 donation. Wow. Now, we get to be a part of this work, right? Compassion International empowers people from their own community to help. This is locally sourced food delivered neighbor to neighbor. And, you know, I love this because when help does arrive, it arrives with a familiar face at the door. And we certainly hope this helps the families and children feel seen, soothed, safe, and secure 
in addition to feeding them. Hmm. These interventions help families return to normal so children can experience healthy development and thrive in their God-given potential. We really need your help here. So go to Compassion.com forward slash known. That's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N dot com forward slash known. Make a $50 donation and feed a family of five for a month. We'll have a link in the show notes as well. Please join us. One of the most common questions that people ask me is, Kurt, where can I find a confessional community? Where can I get into one? Where can I find one? And my most common answer is, start one. Right. Like, oh, wait a minute. That's that, right, that's not what I thought I was going to be doing. I thought I was just going to, they were going to be out there for me to find. And, and to which we say, you know, if you read the biblical text, God uh, apparently is very serious about partnering with human beings in running the world. And he's not really willing to do it otherwise. He doesn't just decide, ah, I'm going to show up. You know, I'm going to I'm going to come to Sarasota and that's where I'm going to start. Or I'm going to come to Cincinnati. That, that's going to be a nice place to start. I'm going to come to Cincinnati. That's where I'm, and I'm going to uh, no, like he partners with us, which means he's got a lot of track record of asking people to do things with him and people like say no all the time. And so he knows how hard this is to do. So it can feel hard. And so we ask someone that you trust enough. Ask one person and then a second, because ideally we'd like to begin with at least two others, a total of three people in your group. And then over time, if you want to, you can gradually invite people that you trust enough and that are willing and able to begin to do the work. And who are those people that you trust enough? You know, the, the, you know people say all the time, oh yeah, I've got, I've got these friends. And then you say, well, what makes them friends? And then they tell you what makes them friends. And you're like, they sound like your drinking buddies. <laughs> And, 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 you know, the, the deepest places you go are like the depth chart on the Bengals roster. Right. Right. Like that's, that's the depth that we get. And like, the, that's different than what we're talking about here. We're talking about people with whom you can trust enough with the parts of your story that you don't want to tell anybody. Of course, this is what makes it so frightening. And this, of course, is what God was up to. He's going to partner with people that he's going to reveal his story to. And lo and behold, Jesus comes and does that and we kill him. So he gets it. It's not easy to do. So we begin with at least a couple of folks, and then we're going to screen these. So there's some screening things, some things we want to keep in mind. And there is a certain, I just want to acknowledge ahead of time that there is a certain discomfort with discerning, right? Because we don't, you know, the whole notion of saying, oh, yes, that person qualifies, but that person doesn't qualify. Like, this is just very, it, it makes us uncomfortable. We don't like telling people you're okay, you're not okay for this. And the reality is we have a model for this. Uh, not everybody got to be in Jesus' inner circle. Yeah. And he was in the process of discerning that. Like, if I'm Jesus, like, what the heck are you doing inviting Judas to come along? Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, what, like, what are you thinking? And, you know, and, and we think other things, too. We think, oh, there's Peter, James, and John. They get in the inner circle because are they special? Or is it possible that Jesus had them with him as much as they did because they perhaps were actually going to be more troublesome than the others? You know, this is how we read the text. We, we just assume that, like, well, they're, they're the coolest of everybody. Right. And, the, the, you know, the writer of John himself, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, and you're like, yeah, of course you are because, like, you might, you're, you're the one who's the most needy. You're the one who needs to hear this more than anybody, which may be possible, and it's okay. Right. But the point being, we discern this process, and it's not always easy. We want to know that people can, number one, regulate their emotions. 
what we call affect regulation. We don't know the people that we're going to do this with can regulate their emotions. What does that mean? It means I can tell you that I'm angry and I'm not going to you know, curse you. I'm not going to say I hate you. I'm not going to throw the lamp at you. Right? I want to make sure that I can regulate my affect. It also means that I can name my affect. I'm not just going to not tell you what I feel. I'm going to have to be able to talk about what I feel. The second thing is that we want these people who are ready and who are qualifying to have no active addictions or impairment apart from recovery. What do we mean by that? That means that you can invite somebody who's, who's an alcoholic if they're in recovery, if they're doing their work. Right. You can, you know, somebody who's got a porn addiction but who is actively, whether they're in, you know, SA or whether they're doing other kind of work to work on that, right? But if people are actively engaged in addictive behavior for which they are not seeking help, not actively working, they don't qualify for these groups. And they don't qualify because it becomes too disruptive for the group because they're not going to be able to regulate their affect. It's going to be too disruptive. And it's like we said, like not everybody got to be in the inner circle for Jesus. Right. Right? There were 12, there weren't 25 disciples, just 12. We have to be committed to safety. You know, that's a, you know, it's kind of a broad general term. But what we're really saying is that people are, because, because they're able to regulate their affect and they are not actively addicted, it means that they're not going to be in a position of thinking, oh, things are so overwhelming for me that I'm thinking of taking my life or taking somebody else's life, acting with violence in this way. Right? So they have to be committed to safety. And you might think, well, gosh, like, why would, why would we ever, like, how would we ever invite somebody who wasn't doing that? But as we'll get to later in the next episode, we'll be surprised at some things that might emerge for folks. And then one has to express a commitment to the process of the confessional community and to its purpose. And then, which we're really, you know, we're, we're getting to. And that then gets to this notion of what we, we begin with, the storytelling liturgy. And we're going to Walk through this in a very straightforward fashion. We're not going to go super deep with this, but for those who want more in-depth training on this, you can read The Soul of Desire. You can go to CBK for training for there. You can check out, again, the work that we do at the Practice New Story Behavioral Health. But the storytelling liturgy is a way for people to have a space where they can finally reveal who they are as truly as possible to an audience that is going to pay attention to them. And the structure that we have created, it creates a common experience that in and of itself is formational. The very way that we tell the story, the way the way we go through this, the storytelling liturgy itself is formational. Also to remember that we tell our stories collaboratively. People who are listening to us tell our story are as an important part of the storytelling as I am. And so we also remember that this part of the early stage, the storytelling liturgy is what I call it's like it's, it's stage one of a Saturn V rocket. If we're going to the moon, the mission is, go, is to go to the moon, but you got to have a rocket that is big enough to get you off of Earth's gravitational pull. But we're not building a Saturn V rocket stage one just to do that. We're trying to go to the moon. The mission is to go to the moon, but we got to have a stage one rocket. And that's what this storytelling liturgy is. It gets the process off the ground in a way that is common for everyone. And so these four stages amount to stage one. The storyteller is given 20 minutes to tell their story uninterrupted. We're not asking any questions. The listeners are just going to listen. And they can tell their story however they want. We don't have an absolute 
blueprint for how you do that, which of course makes people anxious? Is there, because we're all wondering like, what's the right way to do this? Right. Well, it's the way you're going to do it. And the way you tell your story is going to be revealing right. both to you and to others. Sometimes people take the first 15 minutes and talk about the first 10 years of their life, but they're 45 years old and now they got five minutes to talk about, you know, the last 35 years of their life. So we're going to learn some things just by the way we tell the story, not just the content that we deliver. So that's the first 20 minutes. That's phase one. Phase two is the first response, the listeners, in which we want the listeners who've just heard that story to answer the question, what are you feeling? What's the emotion? You know, Pep, if you're telling the story, I would want to ask everyone else, what is the emotion that Pepper's story has evoked in you? And I really want us to stick to this. We're, this is not, we're not looking for opinions or assessments on what Pepper has told us. I, I, I want to be curious about myself as much as about the story they just heard. I want to be curious about like, oh, what am I feeling? I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling puzzled. I'm feeling confused. I'm feeling protective. And of course, this whole process is training people to begin to pay attention. They're not just paying attention to the story. They're having to learn to pay attention to themselves. What am I feeling in response to this? And I call this the pseudo beginning of the weaving together of the community. We are together. It's just the early phases of weaving ourselves within and among each other by virtue of both the telling and the listening to the story. The third phase is after everyone in the group, and we expect everyone in the group to say what they feel, and we want to make sure that that has been done to its, you know, to its most, ex- to the to most extent. We, you know, we can go around and the three or four other people, they name what they feel. But while they're doing that, they, you know, something else might emerge in one of the other folks who's already spoken. And we can go, oh, I'm all, I also noticed I'm also feeling angry. I said I was feeling sad earlier, but when John spoke up and said he's feeling out, like, I'm feeling angry as well. I want to, like, exhaust that. What are we feeling? And then we turn it back to the storyteller. Phase three, I want to go back to the storyteller and ask you, Pepper, in this case, what is it you're now feeling in response to what you've heard that has been spoken to you by this community? What's that evoking in you? Again, what what are you feeling? I feel heard. I feel seen. You know, I, I told that story about my dad and I, you, you know, George, you said you were really pissed when you heard me say that. Like, I haven't been angry. I like, I don't know why I'm not. And now I'm angry. Like I, I realize, like I've got angry in me that I didn't know that I had. So this is the third phase where the storyteller is now responding. And then the listeners are going to have one more opportunity. This is their part two. What are they now feeling in response to hearing how their presence and expression of their feelings has influenced the storyteller? And we are in this way already beginning the task of teaching people and forming people to become aware that I don't even have to give you information. I don't have to give you insight. I don't have to explain things to you. I don't have to, I don't have to quote a, te- a biblical text to you. I don't have to. No. The very act of me giving you a part of me in what I feel becomes a way that the Holy Spirit is now starting to use this process at forming both the speaker and the listeners. And then as we'll see that we will have, after, after we complete this, and each person has the opportunity to do this, at the end of that time, that time may take of your first ni- of your 90 minutes together, that time may take, it might take 45 minutes to an hour. The whole thing might take that long. 
And then you may have another 30 minutes in which you can continue. If you want, you can continue to process and be curious about more elements of that person's story if you wanted to do that. But really kind of paying attention to that story. And then you go to the next week and the next person goes and the third week and the next person goes and so forth until everybody has completed their storytelling. And do you basic, do you say, okay, Carol, you're next week? So... Yeah, you know, well, typically, typically, you know, when when this is like an all volunteer force, right? When everybody's kind of coming together, people just decide, like, yeah, I'll go next okay. week. Like they, they so they, you're they you're choose. you're thinking about this all week long, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, and you're ready well, to give some your people, twenty minutes. You know, some pe- right? And, and, and Pat, you know, it's interesting. Some people they come in with notes. Sure. They read it. Some people, like I've had people like read it like they're reading a script. Mm. I've had other people they come in with bullets. I've had other people they, they come in and they're going to kind of wing it. But then there's that's just the first time. Then then, then you're going to come back and do it again. Like, you know, I mean, if, especially if this is an ongoing group, you're not going to tell your story just once. You're going to tell your story no. again and again and again. Right. It's it's stage one of the rocket. Yep. It's only stage one of the rocket. Right. We want to get this launched, and part of what we're going to be doing is inviting everybody to pay attention to what they've heard, so that they can come back and say, you know, Pep, when you told your story. Now, six weeks ago, there was something you said that really got my attention, and we didn't talk about it much that night, but I just got, I have a question for you. Or they might say, you know, I've been thinking about that, and this is what, this is what it's really doing for me. This is, what's, this is what it's bringing up for me. And as it turns out, like, you told that story about your mom and your dad and their marriage, and that made me think about my parents, and now we're off to the races. Yeah. Because now we are bringing parts of our stories into the room that we haven't told anybody. And we couldn't tell anybody unless, like, and I'm not going to have access to my own story like this until I hear yours. Right. And when I do, the spirit is in the room and on the loose, man. And things are going to happen. And then, you know, later on, we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to the next episode about, like, how we can then begin to access and use uh, other topics that we can use besides just the telling of our story to supplement and to enrich this process. But for now, I think that is what we want to pay most attention to as we get started. And with that, I just want to kick it back over to you for uh, our artistic expression, artistic offering for the day. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I want to say about these artistic offerings is they are not always going to be directly and specifically related to the episode that we're that we're talking about but but they have everything to do with the work that we're trying to do and the lives that we want to live i mean a life where we can put ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty as often as we can so for today our artistic offering this week i'd like to introduce you to a collection of folk songs from the Auvergne region, and they are simply titled Songs of the Auvergne. If you don't know, the Auvergne is a region in central France, very rural, mostly mountainous area, and these are the songs of the people who live there. The authors of these songs are unknown. Mm-hmm. They are sung in the medieval language uh, Occitan, Occitan um, and this is the first romantic language um, that had an enormous influence on the development of lyric poetry and other hmm. uh, European languages. And in in the 1930s, these songs were arranged for the soprano voice by Joseph Cantaloupe. And the song that we chose for today is entitled Bolero, which is um, Shepherd's Song. 
And there are so many famous singers and orchestras who have played these songs and this and and this song in particular. I have a, a great copy of an album that Anna Mofo, the soprano, um, that she sang through through all of the songs. Of course, Peggy Fleming has done it as well. And the version that we're recommending today is sung by Natanya Davrith. And she was a Ukrainian soprano who was born in the 1930s. And I, I just think her voice is just unbelievably mm-hmm. beautiful. And um, mm-hmm. and this song, to me, is just something that uh, speaks to my soul, even if I can't understand mm-hmm. the language. Mm-hmm. That's something that is it's remarkable to me. Anyway, I found this video on on YouTube where they've taken this song and they've placed it with a lot of paintings that are kind of on theme. I mean, you're going to be seeing a lot of shepherds and sheep, but it is uh, they are beautiful paintings, and I feel like it really and and Kurt, you had mentioned that you felt like it really enhanced the song by having to the visual of these beautiful paintings. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to yeah. link this YouTube video in the show notes and we want to invite you to just spend some time with it. It's, mm-hmm. it, it might be something that you've never heard before. I, I feel like it's a very approachable song and just absolutely gorgeous. So I'm excited to get to share yeah. this with with everybody. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I, I just want to say this one thing too, Pep. I, you know, I, I listened to that this past week, you shared that. And I'm, I'm like, holy cow, it's just amazing. And you know, when it comes to this notion of revealing our stories, mm. this this idea of, of, of as we as we've said here, uh, the process of being known is one in which we are becoming objects of beauty, and part of how that does that is this whole notion of, as we have often said, we want to put ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty, and how can we do that on a regular basis? Right, and the practice of doing that enhances how it is that we tell our stories. Mm. And so I love this offering that you've directed us to pay attention to and to practice listening to. And um, I, I found even in the in the time that I had to listen to it, I felt like, my goodness, like I, I need more of this in my story. I want, I want to become more of what this music represents. Mm. So just so grateful for yeah. you, for your research on that and for offering that to yeah, us today. Fun. So for our application today, we want you to consider who you would choose to have join with you in the work of a confessional community. Name what your hopes and fears would be in beginning this journey. And you also consider the stages of the storytelling liturgy. List the questions or concerns you have about the process Notice what the emotions are that emerge for you when you think about doing this. Fear, anxiety, (laughs) anxiousness. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? And the story you are telling about the very process itself. So, Kurt, thank you so much for today. This is exciting stuff, and I just love being with you. Right. Right on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Till next time. If you're watching on YouTube, Amy's going to be joining us here in just a second. Love you, Kurt. Love you, man. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode. 
to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.